Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 241. It's February 10th, 2016. Joining me today is a returning guest and a good friend of mine and the blog in general. He is Dan Markovitz. He was a guest on episode 135, talking about his first book that was titled A Factory of One. And in episode 52, it's going back a ways, talking more generally about lean and office settings. Well, today we're talking about his most recent book, which is titled Building the Fit Organization, Six Core Principles for Making Your Company Stronger, Faster, and More Competitive, which this book, like his first, is a recipient of the Shingo Research and Publication Award. So congratulations to Dan. We ended up doing two episodes to cover the six main themes of the book. Um, there's a lot to chat about. Today we're covering the first three, which are one, commit to improvement, two, increase value, don't cut costs, and three, think horizontally. We also talk about a number of things, including the parallels between personal fitness and the idea of organizational fitness, the idea of being fit versus being lean, and finding the right balance in using Japanese words or not. So it's always fun to talk with Dan. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And part two of our discussion will actually be released somewhat soon. I don't know if it's going to be episode 242 or 243 because I've got some other stuff in the works. But go to leanblog.org. You can subscribe to the podcast. Actually, go to leancast.org. That way you make sure you don't miss an episode. Dan, hi. Thanks for being a guest here on the podcast. Mark, it's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, it's a matter of being back on the podcast. For those who haven't listened to the old episodes, Dan was a guest in episode 52, talking about Office Lean, and back in episodes 135, talking about his uh, a previous book called A Factory of One. Uh, we're here to talk about um, his new book, Building the Fit Organization. Dan, um, why don't we just, just jump in? It would be interesting to hear the story behind the book. Well, Mark, the, the book came out of the last few years of frustration that I've had, and I think a lot of other lean practitioners have had, which is the concepts of lean make so much sense, and the benefits seem so apparent, and yet when you look across the landscape, it's littered with the carcasses of failed lean implementations. And I was trying to understand why, uh, why so many implementations fail. Why, so many lean, why do so many lean initiatives end up being abandoned? That's a pretty complicated question. And uh, I suspect that the problem has an awful lot of uh, root causes. But one of the causes that I think <clears throat> is that we as lean practitioners, we're excited by the, by the history of lean. We're excited about what Taichi Ono did in Toyota. And we go around talking about, about Toyota and we start using the Japanese words. And I think we forget that to the, the non-initiates, the people who haven't yet embraced the principles and the lessons and the history, we're speaking a foreign language, both literally and metaphorically. Right. We're talking about about Yokoten and Kanshibai, and we're talking about five S's and, and Kanbans, and people are looking at us like, uh, what are you talking about? And I think that that creates real problems. Um, and, it, and it creates problems for any organization, particularly if you're in an organization that has had, and I think you're probably familiar with this, that has had, issue, that has had a bad history with 
with Japanese car companies. I suspect, for example, that the folks at GM or Delco are not terribly happy to learn about what Toyota does or has done. <clears throat> so my thought is we're asking people to think and act and work differently. And then we're creating, we're putting in, in their way of both emotional and intellectual hurdles that they have to get over. So I wanted to tell a story about improvement that didn't reference Toyota, that doesn't use Japanese, that doesn't talk, doesn't even use the word lean, that just talks about improvement. And I wanted to tell a story in a way that I felt anyone could relate to. And the, the story I chose and the metaphor I'm using is one of physical fitness. I used to be a competitive track and field and cross country runner in high school and college, and I used to coach high school cross country. So that resonated with me. And based on my experience, I saw a lot of, because really when you're trying to, when you're an athlete, it's all about continuous improvement. How do I get faster tomorrow and next week and the month after and next year? And I thought, well, I can take the same principles that we couch, so that we, we, we embed in the language of lean, and I can take these same principles and use and tell stories about athletic fitness uh, or personal physical fitness that I think every, anyone can relate to, whether you are trying to run a faster mile or you're trying to be a better swimmer or you're trying to do the high jump or you're just trying to be a little more fit because in your last visit to the doctor, you heard that, uh, that you should lose some weight and lower your <laughs> cholesterol and so on. Well, and I think, you know, maybe, and I'm sure this was your goal. And I mean, I think in, in the execution of the book, this is what happened. You know, making something relatable doesn't mean dumbing it down. I mean, those are two, those were, would be two different things, right? Using different terminology that, that doesn't turn people off. Was that, is that maybe a good way of um, you know, sort of explaining the goal or how would you put it? That's exactly right. Uh, I, I, we're, I'm not trying to dumb it down. I'm not trying to say this is lean. What I'm trying to do is present the principles of continuous improvement. Now, as you get deeper into it and you're trying to solve the problems that are afflicting an organization, you will most likely need to figure out how to create Kanbans and you'll want to know how to create U-shaped cells if you're in a manufacturing facility and you're going to be striving for flow. And you will eventually have to dig into the tools, but for the concepts, the basic concepts of continuous improvement, I think are fairly, uh, I'm probably going to get in trouble with this, I think the concept is fairly simple. Um, and I think that, so if I can create, present those, that those concepts and the principles in a, in a friendly, user-friendly manner, then people will say, oh yeah, that yeah. makes total sense. Oh, and now in order to, re to, to deliver on this principle, I'm going to have to learn how to do, uh, I'm going to learn how to set up a U-shaped cell. Okay, great. You'll go into it. But if I start talking about U-shaped cells and I start talking about, about 3Ms and so on, I think we might lose people. Well, you know, one thing, I mean, I, I like what, what I hear you saying there is, you know, introducing lean methods and principles and even tools as the need arises. Um, I think... You know, regardless of, you know, we'll talk more about terminology and Japanese words and, and how people, I think, in their enthusiasm can get in their own way sometimes. Um, you know, I, I say a lot of organizations struggle because, you know, they get off track. They, they teach these big, long, ponderous, big batch classes where they, you know, they jam people's heads full of concepts and tools and methods, and then people don't get to use those methods, and then it disappears uh, from, from their brains. So, um, 
you know, I think that's a good example of um, of lean thinking. I guess you know, trying to teach uh, in in a lean way. Um, I mean, do, can you kind of elaborate, or I'm, I'm curious if you have any reactions to that thought about you know using tools and, and methods as needed? I think about when I was coaching high school cross country. I had some kids that were relatively advanced. They're high school students, obviously, so they'd only been running for a few years, um, but. I could have talked to them about racing strategy <laughs> at the very beginning of the season, and it would have meant absolutely nothing to them. I could have talked about the finer parts, finer points of peri uh, periodicity training. This is jargon you don't need to worry about. But yeah, uh, you, you could talk about the history of running shoe construction. Right, but also talk about the history right. of running shoe construction. But what I was really trying to do was get these kids used to the idea of running on every day and thinking about what pacing means and getting them used to uh, understanding the difference between being hurt and just being fatigued and being uncomfortable. We're talking about some basic stuff um, and understanding how to pace themselves, whether they're trying to run three miles today or nine miles today. So I gave them the information and I would teach them what they needed to know at that particular time. When it came to race day, I would talk about the particular strategy that they would need or tactics they would need because it was raining or because it was really windy or because it was hot or because it was a very hilly course or because the course finishes with a downhill and the person is not a terribly good downhill runner. What do you do? Well, rather than filling their heads with stuff that they couldn't use mm. a month or a week prior to the race, I would talk about it when it was time to use that particular tool. Um, and hopefully, and I think it worked, uh, hopefully by giving the kids what they needed to know and, and presenting, presenting to them in right-sized batches, mm -hmm. if you will, uh, they were then more able to understand and implement the tools, the techniques, the tactics that I was giving them at the moment of the race or the day before the race. And I think that ties in very much to the notion uh, that you were just getting at, which is rather than this giant batch of here's all the lean tools, uh, and by the way, we don't do any of this stuff yet, but you should know about it, um, instead giving them some basic stuff. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know, if we want to draw parallels between fitness and lean, you know, I talked to Paul Akers uh, in a recent episode. He's sort of gone the other direction. He's sort of taking lean principles into his own health and fitness um, here we're, we're sort right. of talking about the other direction, but you know, I, I think of you know, I've always described lean as you know, it's a lifestyle. It's not a crash diet. It's not an easy uh, diet pill. And you know, I think about like weight loss. I don't think there's any. I doubt if there's a weight loss program out there that says, okay, you want to lose weight. Well, we need to put you through this week long course, and we're going to certify you <laughs> as a something belt. You know, I think we're working towards smaller belts. Right, smaller belts. <laughs> instead of different colors. But we would never think of sort of treating weight loss and fitness as something that we just educate people into, right? Yeah. You know, that reminds me of something. I don't. I know you wrote about this. I don't remember if you did a podcast with uh, with Bob Mauer, Robert Mauer at UCLA. Yes, I did. Yes. Right. So, and I remember there's something that he he that you guys discussed that was really very that really struck me. And he talked about um, how large change activates the amygdala, the lizard brain that Seth Godin calls it, uh, the fight or flight response. 
So if you're trying to talk about fitness and you say, okay, you need to lose 100 pounds mm -hmm. or you need to be able to get your blood pressure down to X, uh, you're just going to scare the crap out of people. Mm. It's such a big change. Oh, by the way, you have to do 45 minutes of exercise every single day and entirely turn around your, your eating habits. You're going to scare people and they're going to run away. They won't be able to do it. But, and to use, again, this is from the conversation you had with Bob, if you take, or your, pod, or your blog post, mm -hmm. if you say, okay, listen, I tell you what, when, you, uh, when you're watching TV, what I'd like you to do, instead of sitting on the couch, is just walk in place for three minutes, yep. or for five minutes. Or I think he's, he started off by saying one minute, I think. Yeah, it may have even been one minute. That's something totally manageable. It's not a big deal. I can do that. And then from one minute, you go to two minutes, and three minutes, and then maybe one day you start walking around the block. Uh, and then you go for a little run or whatever. But you start to, you, you have these incremental changes. And I think the same is true with embracing continuous improvement. We're not trying to improve productivity by 25% in one day. We're not trying to lower costs by 30% in, in one Kaizen event. I think it's really important when you're beginning it's different, of course, if you're Toyota and you've been doing this for 65 years. But if you're just beginning to start setting these, these uh, huge goals, uh, I think is a mistake. And in fact, the, the work that you've done with Kinexus and the, the, the webinars you've had with, with Greg Jacobson mm -hmm. really reinforce this. What we're trying to do is embed the principles and the, con the mindset of continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. And just like I'm not going to ask someone who has never run before, uh, to go out for a 15-mile run, it, to ask someone to or ask a company or a department to make these huge changes when they've never even had their ideas listened to right. is crazy. Let's start with something really small. Get mm -hmm. people, get, let's start using that muscle first before we ask them to, uh, to lift yeah. 200 pounds yeah. or before we ask them to run 10 miles. Yeah, so I, I'd like to, I think that dovetails into the first of the six principles uh, from the book, this idea of commit to improvement. And you know, maybe you know, if you can elaborate on that point and how, you know, you, do we have to be careful of not asking someone to commit to something too big? Hey, you know, hi, let me tell you about Lean. Would you like to commit to a complete and total transformation of your organizational culture and management system? <laughs> That's going to freak people out, right? Sure, sign what, me up. What, what, what can you get people to commit to and, and how do you recommend going about that? Well, uh, as I said earlier, I think the, the idea here is that we're committing to being better. Steve Young pointed out that the, he said the principle or the key is to be better than you were yesterday. And to me, that's committing to improvement. So we're not asking you to change the entire management system uh, overnight. We're not asking you to change the way the entire organization operates overnight. We just want to be a little bit better tomorrow than we are today. And committing to improvement means that I'm going to try this or collectively, we are going to do things, we're going to try to do better tomorrow than today. And I think Paul Akers really has nailed it in a lot of respects, this idea of two-second lean. How can I get two seconds better tomorrow? I'm not going to worry about the entire, overhauling the entire management structure. I'm not going to worry about laying out the, uh, changing the layout of the factory tomorrow. Just two seconds, two seconds, two seconds. And eventually you'll get to the point where you are, reorganizing a production line, or you're going to 
change the way entirely that you open up new account, the salespeople open up and uh, do credit checks on new accounts. Things we don't need to do it all at once, but we need to make a commitment that every day I'm going to do this. And it's to me the the physical fitness parallel really holds true here. If you're going to commit to physical fitness, that doesn't mean you're going to go to the gym once a month. It doesn't mean you're going to go to the gym once a week. It means that you're going to do some exercise, whether that means going to the gym or not. You're going to be doing something for physical fitness every single day. Now, maybe it's only two minutes or five minutes, but you're making a commitment. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, I think, is how you start to see the sustained you see both, uh, you see a culture of continuous improvement start to take hold. And you, re you avoid that trap of saying, oh, it's, uh, it's, Kaizen. <laughs> it's Kaizen week. This week we have to improve and then, uh, and then it's back to normal for the next three weeks. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. A Kaizen event is episodic improvement. Not really. It's not continuous improvement. Right. And that's not to say that, that I'm starting to talk like my wife with double negatives. That's not to say that Kaizen, that you can't do Kaizen events. <laughs> Absolutely do Kaizen right. events, right. but it should be incorporated as part of continuous improvement. And you've decided that for the next step right. in whatever the improvement is, you actually need a full week or four days or whatever of focused improvement work. Terrific. That's great. Right. So, I mean, bring it back to the workplace. How is that commitment detected or, um, you know, you know, where, where does, how do you know if an organization has commitment or it, does that commitment need to start with the CEO or, I mean, what do you see in workplaces about, well, you know, what, what does it mean? You know, we want to commit to improvement. That sounds good, but, but how? Well, at the risk of sounding horribly sycophantic, uh, my thinking on this, Mark, has really been influenced a lot by what you've done with Kinexus. Um, and your own consulting, the idea of having visible boards where people's idea cards and, and suggestions are posted and very simple to, and nothing fancy, just simple tracking of how many ideas are we getting? What percentage of participation are we getting? How long does it take to go from suggestion or from you know, posting the idea to either making a decision about whether you're going to do it or not, or actually implementing it. Um, and including in this, to your point about the leadership team, the leadership team absolutely should be part of this as well. Um, especially, I think, when you're dealing with a company that's or an organization that's new to the idea, I think having their ideas on the boards so that everyone sees, oh, yeah, they're the CEO and the president and the VP of operations he and she are all, they're all part of this. They're just like us. They're coming up with new ideas. I think that's really, that's an incredibly powerful symbol that we're all involved in this together. Yep. And, you know, it reminds me of, frankly, one of my biggest failures as a consultant. I was working with a company, must be about three years ago. And they, they had this, it was driven by HR, but the HR department had, had created their initiative for a culture of continuous improvement, CCI, the CCI initiative. And I was involved with teaching people how to do improvement and, and A3s and problem solving and all that stuff. And everything seemed great and it never, it never gained traction. And in retrospect, when I look back at it, what happened is that the senior team didn't change the way they worked at all. They were still in their offices. They still held meetings and conference rooms. They never walked around the office to see what 
what the, if the, it was just to see any A3s that were posted on the wall, to see the progress of any projects. They didn't ask about it. It was just something that the, and they didn't think this way, but it's just something that the little people, that the minions, the frontline staff were doing. It wasn't something that we, the senior team, were involved with. And I think people, you know, people can smell, not a rat, they can smell uh, something that's, that's a serious, it's a serious commitment or it's not a serious yeah. commitment. They can see it and they go, well, you know, if the president, and this is a small company, it had about 150 people in it. If the president's not coming around and asking about this, how important is it really? Right. If the president and the VP of HR are not act actively engaged in these kinds of activities themselves, how important is it? So um, once that commitment is there, um, the second principle you talk about um, this is something I've, I've blogged about very recently here, this idea of increasing value, don't cut costs. I've, I've been sort of <clears throat> you know, bemoaning organizations that have equated lean with cost cutting, and then they wonder why their employees aren't interested in lean. Um, <laughs> right. It makes perfectly good sense to me that, that lean has got to be about... <clears throat> Far more than you know, it's got to be about you know, improving quality, improving safety, and other things. I mean, how, how do you frame it in the book or think about it in terms of, of fitness, value versus cost? Well, using the metaphor of, of, of physical fitness, uh, to me, this is the same as saying uh, what you want to do is focus on fitness. You don't want to focus on weight loss. Mm -hmm. If you focus on weight loss, first of all, it's dispiriting. It's demoralizing mm -hmm. um, because all you see is is uh, self is abnegation and uh, suffering and um, reduction of stuff that you like. Uh, I didn't say that very artfully, but you know what well, I'm saying. Well, it's I mean, just... like, well, no, I know what you mean because, like, you know, if I'm trying to uh, eliminate some belly, it's not that I like the belly, but I know what you mean. Like, you know, I, I was working with a trainer last year, and you know, he emphasized, like, it's not just about weight. That's one number. This is about fitness, and you're going to lose some fat and gain some muscle, and you know that makes that makes fitness something that's not just uh, you, you need more than that one metric, that number of weight, right? Right, and in fact, weight. If all you do is focus on weight, you end up in a really unhealth, literally an unhealthy place. You end up anorexic or bulimic, because that's the fastest way to lose weight. That doesn't make you healthy at all. It makes you. It puts you in severe danger health danger. So increasing fitness means uh, becoming stronger, becoming more flexible, having lower blood pressure, having greater cardiovascular capacity. And similarly for a company, it's not about, and obviously you've written about this quite a bit recently, it's not about cutting costs. It's about increasing the amount of value you can provide to customers. Now that may mean in a healthcare situation, it may mean being able to get people into an MRI more quickly, instead of having them having to wait for five days, maybe they can do it next day. Uh, maybe it means that they don't you don't turn around lab tests in two days, but you turn it around in one day. In a non-healthcare setting, perhaps it means that you are able to deliver products faster. There was one company I was I was uh, working with, very really interesting. They used to measure. They did um, custom lighting for let's say uh, businesses or theaters, things like that. You know, very advanced lighting setups and they used to measure time to delivery that was what they delivered mm -hmm. you know we'll do it in x number of days terrific and then they said well wait a minute we could increase improve the value we create or increase the value we deliver to the customers not by measuring time to delivery but time to installation mm -hmm. and that's something 
is I, I don't want to say it's totally unrelated. It's obviously closely related, but it leads to all kinds of different things. Now it's not a matter of, hey, listen, we shipped it. It's all sitting in your deck on your uh, receiving dock. But rather, it's going to be installed and calibrated mm -hmm. faster. And that means you're going to be shipping it differently. You're going to be packaging it differently. You're going to be providing different kinds of support. Probably you'll be doing different kinds of analysis up front. Mm -hmm. And that's greater value to the customer. Right. And that, to me, is really exciting. If you say, this is what we're focusing on, we're trying to improve, in this particular case, the metric we're using, the fitness metric we're using, or the value metric we're using is time to installation. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think of, this reminds me of a, a story oh my gosh, 15, 16 years ago when uh, I worked at Dell Computer. You know, back then, you know, there was so much advertised about, well, you know, you can order <clears throat> computers and get them custom built and, and delivered to you within five days. And you might think about costs, and some people might think, well, you know, lower costs are always better. And at Dell, there was sort of this push, faster delivery is always better. Faster, faster, faster. And that we learned sometimes is that a company that ordered a thousand computers it was expecting them to arrive five days later was actually very unhappy if they arrived too soon because now <laughs> they've got a loading dock full of computers and they don't know they don't know where to put them and they don't have the IT people ready to move them and install them and so there was this understanding that value sometimes meant the promised date not faster not later but the date and delivering to a target date um, was, was a different way of defining value than just delivering faster. Right, right. Uh, you, and I think that is delivering when you say you're going to, certainly this is kind of touches on the sin of over-processing, uh, over, over right. giving something more than they right. need, which ends up being of lower value to them. Uh, but I think there's so many other ways. It's not just speed. That's obviously a common... Um, that's a common metric that we use within the continuous improvement community. But there are other ways of looking at fitness or value created. So if I'm in the HR department and I'm hiring someone, getting someone on board, bringing them in is certainly great. If I could bring them on board faster, that's better for the, it could be better for the customer, the customer being the hiring manager, except maybe, to your point, maybe the hiring manager is going to be on a two-week vacation. Maybe the hiring manager is going to be on a business trip to Taiwan for a week and a half, mm -hmm. and now I've got the new employee coming in, and, and her manager is not around for the next 10 days. What would happen if we started looking at the value or increasing the value by, by making sure that the person has everything they need on the first day? How often does that happen? In most companies that I used to work in, certainly, People would come in and they wouldn't have the right keys, their computer wouldn't be set up, they wouldn't have the passwords, whatever it is. Uh, their desk wouldn't be ready for them, they wouldn't have their supplies. Getting all that set up, that's a huge amount of value to be sure that people can hit the ground running. So let's start looking at that and looking at continuous improvement from that metric. Not just cutting costs, but making sure that when we get people on board, they're on board at the right time, and from day one, they're ready to go, yeah. as opposed to day three being ready to go, or day yeah. five. Yeah, so um, when we talk about, um, I want to move on to the third principle of thinking horizontally, and, and, and when we focus on flow instead of costs, I think that's where thinking horizontally is really helpful. How, how do you explain this idea to people thinking horizontally? Using the fitness metaphor again, 
it's the notion of training for a specific event. So if I am trying to become a better, if I'm training for a powerlifting competition in the Olympics, I'm going to be training in a different way than if I'm training for a marathon. If I'm training for a marathon, I'm training in a different way than if I'm training for a 5K race. If I'm training for physical rehab because I hurt my knee or I hurt my back or I'm recovering from surgery, I'm going to be doing different things than if I am training for, um, to lower my blood pressure. So having a specific focus, where am I going, affects and influences what it is I'm going to be doing. And similarly, if we start looking at, this is a little bit of an awkward uh, uh, locution, but if I start looking at my different types of customers as different events, I need to be servicing them differently. I need to be doing different things for them. When I was at ASICS, I used to be in both sales and marketing and product development. I, I wore a lot of different hats. But one of my first jobs was to essentially act, we didn't use the terminology then, but essentially act as a value stream manager for the specialty running stores. And we used to treat them exactly the same way we treated, we treated the big chains like Foot Locker. But they have entirely different needs. And it wasn't until we started looking at them differently and thinking, well, what do these guys need to be able to compete effectively in the market? And how can we support them? And we started changing the way our company operated, the way ASICs operated, in order to support them effectively. And so instead of thinking vertically in our functional silos, well, the credit department wants this, and the sales department wants this, and finance wants this, we started thinking, what does the customer want, and what does the customer mm -hmm. need? And then how do we set up our processes so that we can serve them. And we, we did not break up the way some companies do, of course. We, we didn't create value streams. Um, we kept our functional silos, but we started thinking, okay, this is a customer class that we want to take care of. How do we do it better? Mm. Uh, so just, as, just, as, uh, just as you would think, well, how am I going to work on this rehabilitation from a, you know, an artificial knee? Versus how do I work on, how do I uh, start taking care of myself if I want to, if I'm trying to lower blood pressure? Different activities, different processes, different ways of thinking. And that creates smoother flow and mm -hmm. greater value created for the that end purpose. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, this idea of, yeah, keeping the end in mind. And yeah, very much. I th that's, a, that's, a, that's a simple and elegant way of saying it. Keeping the end in mind. And what does that end require? That that's one of the Covey habits, right? Exactly. Start with the start with start the end. The end mind, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a good point. Like if you were to go to a trainer, they're probably going to ask you, "What are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish?" And that's going to be different for different customers or different clients of theirs. That's exactly yeah. right. I didn't think about that, but you're you're. That's exactly right. If you go to a trainer, the trainer is going to start with. Well, what are your goals, Mark? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to run a marathon or are you trying to lose a little weight and be a little healthier? Yeah. And that's going to, he, he or she is going to tailor the exercises and the activities to help you meet that specific goal. Yeah. And obviously in a lot of companies, we don't do that. It's a blanket kind of, uh, it's a blanket exercise. The credit department says, I need to reduce the day sales outstanding. And if you are... If you are five days overdue or ten days overdue, we're going to put you on credit hold. Yep. And that's what we at ASICs. That's what we used to do. And we'll, with our specialty running accounts, we realized that as a percentage of our business, although they were a very important part of our business, as a percentage of our business, it was, it was very small. So our our financial exposure was limited. 
So we said, okay, for these guys, you know what? We're not going to put them on credit hold. We'll give them an extra 30 days or 60 days, and you know, we'll work with them. It's not worth cutting them off. But if you're Dix or Foot Locker and you're late, we're going to have a we're going to have an issue. We're going to hold up shipments because we can't afford to put fifty million dollars at risk. Yeah, I could put fifty thousand dollars at risk. Who cares? Well, and I think you know this is all this is kind of thought provoking and, and trying to think through these concepts in a different way. Um, I'm, I'm going to suggest, Dan, we, we've we've touched on the first three principles uh, from from the book. I'm going to suggest maybe we can do a part two of the podcast. Sure. And, and kind of not shortchange the last three principles and how this all ties together. Uh, in, in the meantime, um, so we'll leave that as a, a bit of a teaser. Um, if, if people can't wait and they want to get the book and find you online, what, what's the, the best way or some different ways for people to do that? Well, let's see. Online, you can contact me at uh, or find my website and with all articles and resources at markovitzconsulting.com. You can contact me via email, dan at markovitzconsulting. I tweet under, what's my Twitter handle? Just uh, Dan, Dan Markovitz. Dan Markovitz, <laughs> thank you. I, t- I tweet under Dan Markovitz. And uh, my books are available where all fine books are sold now, which is Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble and 800 CEO Read. And I just received in the mail yesterday audio versions of the book. So not only is there a Kindle version, there's actually an audio version of it. Oh, great. Which is good for Paul Akers, apparently, because he does not read books. He only listens to books. So I, I'm now going to be mailing something off to Washington State for him. Yeah. Okay. Also, and, um, just to let you know, Mark, uh, sorry, uh, part of the self-promotion thing, uh, my book was just awarded a Shingo Research uh, Prize. So I'm delighted to be able to announce that as well. That's what I, I was just about to announce that on your behalf. So congratulations. Ah, thank you. <laughs> congratulations on uh, on that recognition. So uh, again, our, our guest has been Dan Markovitz. We're talking about building the fit organization. Um, we'll, we'll come back real soon with uh, part two of the discussion. And uh, Dan, thank you. Uh, great talking to you as always. You're very welcome, Mark. It's been a real pleasure for me. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.